You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. As we get this new year underway here at Seabreeze, we've been talking about where we are heading as a church. Now, the purpose behind uh, these three weeks is not just to give you uh, important information about the church. The real purpose is to give you information that I think is going to be essential for your own growth and your own progress in this new year. And the reason I say that these two are linked is because uh, in the Bible, God identifies the church as the place where we make the most progress towards the most important destinations in life. So if you really want to make progress, and I want to make progress this year towards the big things in life, then we will commit to be a part of the church and advance what God wants us to do together. Now, if you were looking at the scene that we've been putting on both sides of the screen, and you were actually at a location like this in real life, where would you like to go? I mean, I look at that and I think, I kind of want to know where that river goes. So I might go along the riverbank and kind of go around the corner and see, where does this go? I love rivers. Or you might, you know, pick one of those um, mountain ranges and say, you know, I kind of like to know what's on the other side of that. You might try to figure out a way to get through uh, one of those passes. Or maybe it looks to me like there may be a meadow off the left. I can't tell, but I, maybe just around the corner. So I, I might want to you know, go look at that. Honestly, if I was there in real life, I'd probably wander around for a while, just kind of getting a lay of the land and checking it out. Now, if you're in the wilderness, that's a good way to get lost. It's also a good way to get nowhere in particular. <laughs> And the reason we have this image is because uh, we look out on our lives in general, not just physical locations, and we can go all different directions with our lives. And what we tend to do is we kind of get interested in something and we head off in that direction, and then something else catches our attention and we head off in that direction, and that's not really what we want, and so we head off in a different direction and we end up spending our lives, uh, either we get lost, we have this sense that we really don't know why we're here, what we're doing, or we get nowhere in particular as we spend the days of our lives. And so that's why we're talking about where we're going as a church and inviting you to be a part of that. So as a church, we've asked God for direction on where he wants us to go. Out of all of the good things we can do, what is it he wants us to do in this time and in this place? Our understanding of where that is is represented by a frame. So this is this is the location. Inside the frame is the particular destination. And I talked two weeks ago about the destination that we believe God is moving us towards over the next 10 years. The frame itself that surrounds the destination kind of uh, frames the boundaries of what we need to do in order to make progress towards this destination. It, it kind of works like guardrails, keeping us on track, keeping us from getting in the ditch, getting distracted, uh, not being focused. It helps us know what it is out of all the good things that are available, what it is that we should say yes to and what it is that we should say no to as a church. And last Sunday, Elliot gave us an overview of the borders, the frame. Now today, we're going to wrap this up, and I'm simply going to invite you to join us as a church to help us advance what God has called us to do. So the first question is, why join? Well, there's, there's, real, there's several reasons, but I think two immediately pop into my mind. Now, the first reason is we need your help. Now, if you're new here, or maybe you just came for the first time this Sunday, you walked on campus, you were offered a cup of coffee, you were offered a donut, uh, you walked around, you sat here, the lights are working, the heat's on, 
Sound is working. It looks like we kind of got it dialed in. So it may look like we don't really need your help. But the truth is, there is so much more progress that we could make as a church with your help. The second reason is you need our help. Now, that also may not be very obvious, especially if your life is going well right now. But we all need much more help than just the emergency, urgent kind of help that we need when life gets really hard. We need help just to stay on track with God. And so I would say we need you and you need us. Now, we tend to think of church um, primarily as a, a building, or maybe an organization, but God thinks of the church as the visible representation of his son, Jesus Christ, and his body still here on earth. This is the way he describes it in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this, speaking to those who have decided to follow Jesus Christ. And he says, now you've made this decision to follow Jesus. That's a personal decision, but there's bigger implications. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, this body of Christ isn't just some spiritual, invisible idea. It shows up in real places in real time, because the very next sentence says this, and in the church, God has appointed, and then it goes on to talk about the different roles and the different functions, the different things that people do in particular local churches. So in the New Testament portion of the Bible, the local church and the body of Christ are interchangeable terms for really the same thing. So what that means is you can't follow Jesus apart from his church. You know, just imagine when Jesus walked here on earth 2,000 years ago, if one of his disciples in Jesus' day just walked off on their own. And you can imagine some of the disciples saying, hey, John, where are you going? We're following Jesus. And what if John were to say, oh, I'm following Jesus too, as he headed off in the distance? I would imagine the disciples say, what do you mean you're following Jesus? He's right here. You can't say you're following somebody when you're walking away from their body. So if we're not part of the body of Christ, then we're not really following Christ. We're following our imagination, our ideas of Christ, but we're not following him because we're not following his body. Now, in the New Testament, the church that you belong to, was committed, were committed to, was very obvious. One of the reasons was there weren't many churches, you know, just kind of one church per city. And so you kind of knew if someone was a part of that church. The main reason you knew if someone was committed to the church is because you risked your life by showing up at a church because Rome was opposed to the teaching of Jesus and had the death penalty in some cases for those who gathered in the name of Jesus. So if, if you were risking your life to show up, you were very committed if you showed up. Now that's not the case. Now there's lots of churches, especially in this part of the world. And showing up is not dangerous. We have exits all around here. If things get weird, you can leave. This is a low-risk environment for you. So what that means is it's impossible for us to know, as leaders of the church, who's really a part of this church or who's you know, just passing through, which is fine, or 
maybe are just investigating who Jesus is, which is great. So rather than us guess who's really committed here and probably get it wrong, we ask you just to tell us, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm committed. I, I want to be a part of this church. Now, before you say yes or no, I want to be clear this morning about what it means to commit to this part of the body of Christ. Now, the commitment here at Seabreeze only lasts one year. Every year, we decide whether or not we are going to renew the commitment that we made last year to be a part of this church. And the reason we do that, there's really a couple of reasons. One is we live in a very mobile um, time period. I mean, people move all the time. So you may not even know it, but you may not be here next year. So we want to be clear on every year kind of who's really still with us. The other reason, and this is, I think, more important, is that we also live in a very distracting time. There are so many things that demand our attention, so many options uh, of what we could do with our days and our, our, our year. And so it's, I think it's very helpful when it comes to the really big and important commitments of life, I think especially in a time like these modern times, it's really helpful to at least annually kind of revisit the big commitments and think through what is it that I'm going to do to recommit and to advance this commitment. And so that's really why we do this as a church is have this annual commitment. Now, the New Testament describes a commitment to Christ primarily as an attitude of the heart. It's a heart decision that an individual makes. So let me look at both of those terms, heart and then attitude, or first attitude. An attitude is really about the direction of your life, not the perfection of your life. Perfection is not a requirement to follow Jesus Christ. If it was, none of us would, would make the standard. Every once in a while, well, actually often, I, I talk to people who are considering what it means to follow Jesus Christ, and I'll encounter the response where they'll say, you know, I, I, my life is still such a mess. I need to clean some things up before I decide to follow Jesus Christ. And that's actually the opposite. We come to Jesus because we're not perfect. And we need him to help us begin to clean up our lives. So it's, it's about the attitude, the, the direction of our life. So we come to Jesus, he forgives us, and then we decide to follow him. That's the two sides of the following Jesus coin. And as we follow him, he and his words become like a compass to us. As we learn his words, it guides us through all of the different unique situations of our life. So that's the attitude part of the heart attitudes. Heart is the other part. Heart speaks to, we do this not because we have to. We do this because we want to. We do this out of our heart. Now, here at Seabreeze, we use seven heart attitude statements to summarize what the New Testament portion of the Bible says about how we are to relate to each other and how we are to relate to the church. Now, these are not seven rules that we have to keep in order to be a part of this church. These are heart attitudes. These are seven statements that describe the kinds of people that we really want to and are intentional about becoming over time. These are compass settings for our life. Now, the Bible has a whole lot more to say than these seven statements that we're going to go through this morning. But the reason we've chosen these seven to describe our commitment to this church is because these seven, 
identify what the Bible has to say about how trust is really built and established in the church. And when, when it comes to any gathering of people who are trying to work together, trust is essential. Whether it's a business, whether it's a family, whether it's a sports team, it rises and falls on the level of trust that exists between the people who are part of that group or that organization. And that's the case for the church. Now, if you've been around Seabreeze for a while, you know about the seven hard attitudes. And so for you, you may already be thinking, okay, well, I can plan my afternoon because I know these seven. Um, I would ask you to fight against that urge and to consider these. In fact, I want to ask you to, as we go through these seven, just to keep your heart open and say, God, which one of these seven do you want me to lean into this year? Which one of these seven really do I need to work on in order to to kind of break loose in, in some areas I may be stuck in. Which one of these seven, and, and what do you want me to do to get going on these seven? So before we start looking at these seven, then I just want to pray for us that God would speak to us on that level. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into these seven heart attitudes. Father, you know us um, way better than we know ourselves. We can deceive ourselves. We can have a perception of ourselves that is just not true, but you know the truth. So I pray as, as we look through these seven heart attitudes out of the New Testament, words from you, that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, knowing exactly who we are and what we need to work on. I pray that you would give us clarity in which one of these you want us to lean into this year. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Heart attitude number one, put the goals and interests of others above my own. For each one of these heart attitudes, there is a one-word summary that describes what this heart attitude is intended to advance. So we put the goals and interests of others above our own because we are intentional about love. Now you may ask, you could save a whole lot of words just by saying love. We're committed to love. And that, that would be true. The problem is with all of these words, they are big words that describe deep categories. And therefore, especially with a word like love, there's just a lot of confusion about what all of that means and how you might do it. So the statement is an action statement. If you want to be intentional about love, then do this. Put the goals and interests of others above your own. This comes out of Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, interest, but also to the interest of others. This is exactly where this comes from. Now, if someone is full of selfish ambition, they are very hard to trust. You, you would be wise to be reluctant to trust them. The reason is because if their big drive is themselves and the advancement of themselves, what that means is they have no real true interest in you. You're either helping them or not helping them get what they want. And therefore, what appears like interest is not real interest. Their interest in you will last only as long as you are useful to their selfish ambition. If you get in their way, they will make you pay for it. So in, a, in an environment where everyone has selfish ambition, this is what's natural to all of us. We, we naturally drive our days and our lives based on what we want. But in an environment that's characterized by selfish ambition, you have to be ready to protect yourself and to defend yourself. You, you've got to keep a wary eye. You can't risk 
thinking about how you can advance the team and what you might do to sacrifice for the benefit of the team or somebody else. On Saturdays this month, some of you have been a part of Upward Basketball. We didn't have it yesterday because of the rain, but one of the most amazing things to me uh, whenever I, I come here on a Saturday this month is just to look at the sheer number of people that are giving their time to make this league a success and allow us to build a bridge into our community. Now, I get why the parents do this, because they're, it's for their kids. But what's amazing to me is so many people that help with this are not parents. So they're sacrificing time from their busy schedules that has little and absolutely, in some cases, nothing to do with their own personal interests. What that means is those are the kind of people that you can team with. Those are the kind of people that you can grow to trust over time. Because in order for them to do that, they're not absolutely full of themselves. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. So if you want to build trust, begin to act in the best interest of someone else. Just You can't do it all the time, but pick a moment, pick an opportunity, think about what someone really is interested in, and if it's an appropriate thing that you can help with, sacrifice some of your own interests to be a part of advancing their interests. That's what love looks like. Hard attitude number two, live an honest and open life. This statement points to the fact that we are intentional about truth. Sin, which is true of all of us, is a nocturnal creature. What I mean by that is it hunts and feeds and grows in the dark, in hiddenness. And so if we're going to grow in life, we need to be honest about what we're struggling with. Ephesians 4.25 is where this hard attitude comes from. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Why? For we are all members of one body. It's speaking to the body of Christ again. What would happen if the parts of your body, your physical body, started lying to each other? We have a, have a name for that. It's called a neurological disease, a neurological disease. The messages that are sent by the nervous system are, are either wrong or they're not getting through to the right places. And when we're dishonest with each other in a group or in relationships, it has the same effect on those relationships. Truth is, is the foundation of trust. If we don't know the truth about each other, we, we're going to have a hard time to trust each other. Now, we don't need to know everything about everyone in order to build trust. That's impossible. But what we do need as, as individuals, if we're going to be a part of any group, especially the church, we need to be willing to disclose enough about ourselves over time so that the person that's being presented is an accurate representation, representation of the person who really exists inside. That we're not presenting ourselves and hiding things to make ourselves look better than we really are. Now, this is not with everyone, but this is with someone here, someones. And one of the reasons that it's so important to live an honest and open life is that secrets form invisible barriers between people. If you're holding on to a secret, you have constructed a barrier between you and everyone you relate to. That barrier does not exist with them. It exists inside of you. It's an invisible barrier that you have inside of your own heart. What that means is that if you're not honest about who you really are, 
and what your past has really been, then you are keeping everyone else at some level of a, of, of a distance. So you may be wondering, why, am I, why, do I, why do I not feel close to people? One of the things to check, it may not be this, but one of the things to check is, are you, are you just holding on to secrets? Because that's just an invisible barrier between you and people around you. Hard attitude number three, give and receive scriptural correction. What this means is we are intentional about growth. And the reason this is so important is we need help to grow. This comes from Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 13. It says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Deceitfulness. It starts out by saying, see to it, which means you're going to have to take action on this. This is not going to happen automatically or naturally. You're going to have to be intentional. Why? Why do this? Well, the thing about our hearts is our hearts are in a, a, a state of instability. What that means is we can feel strongly and think strongly about something one day and then over time think something very different. We can love one moment, and in just an instant, we can hate the very same person. That's how unstable our hearts are. We can be absolutely clear on the truth for a period of time, and then we can get deceived and believe the exact opposite of the truth. That's how unstable our hearts are. So how do, how do we respond to having these kinds of hearts? Should we just double down on our determination? Well, that's not going to change the nature of our hearts. What we need, this verse says, is we need to surround ourselves with regular encouragement to keep our hearts on track. What does that mean? We just need regular pats on the back? Well, yeah, we do, but that's really not the core of what this is talking about. The word that's used here in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in, the word means to come alongside someone and warn them. Warn them that they're getting off track. That's the kind of encouragement that we really most desperately need and is very rare in this world. Now, if you're driving a newer car, you're familiar with this image in your mirror. You know, what does that mean? That means there's a car right next to you. It's called blind spot monitoring. Now, this is one of a whole set of features that are coming out in cars leading all the way to autopilot that is, is really focused on crash survival, or crash avoidance, rather. Because in the history of vehicle safety, it, it initially started with crash survival. I mean, think seat belts. See, a seat belt isn't going to prevent a crash. It's going to help you survive a crash. But now, thanks to the uh, advances in radar technology, the focus is shifting to crash avoidance, not crash survival. The reason people get into car accidents is not because they want to, it's because they just don't see what's happening around them accurately and in the right time, and they don't react appropriately. So the same factor is at play when it comes to relationships. Reason people have conflict is not usually because they want to have conflict. It's because they just don't accurately perceive what's going on around them. They don't perceive themselves 
in the context of their relationships, and they end up doing things that crash into people, and they cause damage. We can't see 360. That's not how we're designed, whether it's physically when we're driving a car or relationally when we're relating to people. We just, we, we've got blind spots, and blind spots cause conflict. That's just the way it is. You may wonder, if you're married, why is it that the person you love the most is the person you argue with the most? What's well, because if you decide to live with someone, you both are introduced over time to each other's blind spots, and blind spots cause conflict. Now, it would be great if relational technology had been able to keep up with automotive technology, and we could install some kind of collision avoidance radar. I mean, I would love that. There's so many times, right after I've said something, it's like, ah, if there had just been a beep, 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 you know, something to say, are you sure you want to say this? Wouldn't that be helpful? I would pay a lot of money to put that chip somewhere in my brain that would just let me know that I'm getting ready to run into my wife or someone. But when it comes to relationships, we need to rely on a very, very old but incredibly reliable technology. It's called friends. Friends. Friends who actually care enough about us to point out our blind spots before we crash. That's, in the book of Proverbs, actually, that's the definition of a friend. A person who's willing to risk a wound to save you from disaster. And so in a world that says, hey, mind your own business, we realize that even though it is our own business, we need help to mind it. And so we are serious enough about what God says to get help doing it. So what this means is if you're considering becoming a member here at Seabreeze, and you are living in some way in opposition to what the Bible actually says, you are welcome to hang around as long as you want. We'd love you. We'd love to help you answer any questions you have. But if you're living in opposition to something the Bible says, you're not going to enjoy this for very long. In other words, you're not quite ready. Please hang around and learn. But if you're not willing to change and line up with God's Word, then that's what we're about. Relation or hard attitude number four is clear up relationships. This points to the fact that we are intentional about forgiveness. We need not only to give forgiveness, but we need to receive forgiveness. This comes from Matthew chapter 5, 23 through 24. Here's what Jesus says. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Let me just highlight a few words in this. It starts out with first. If you're doing something incredibly important, which is what Jesus is describing here, and you remember that there's a relational conflict, the first thing you should do is not finish what you're doing, but get intentional about clearing up that relationship. Clearing up the relationship, Jesus is saying, is a top priority. The reason is that the trust that exists between you and the other person is too fragile and it's too important for you to delay this. When we are wronged, trust is damaged. And trust can be damaged in an instant. 
and it takes time to rebuild. But if the wrong is admitted, then trust actually not only is repaired, but it's, it's strengthened. It's not just repaired back to the way it was, but over time, it is strengthened. So first, clear up the relationship as a matter of priority, and then go. Talk to them face to face. One of the challenges we have is we, we think, well, you know, they did more wrong than I did, and so we're waiting for them to come crawling to us. And Jesus doesn't even get into who's at fault and what happened. It's just an awareness. You're aware there's a problem, you go. Talk to them face to face. Now, we prefer to talk about people behind their back that we're struggling with. The reason we do that is to gain support for whatever our case is, but it puts division between people, so go. And then be reconciled, Jesus says. This is an interesting term he, he used. I mean, think of it like your bank account. When you reconcile your bank account, you're, the two of you, you and your bank, are coming to an agreement on the truth of how much money you actually have in your account. And that's what's happening when you reconcile a relationship. You're coming to an understanding of the truth about what really happened. And you're making it right. So this is why it's not enough to to say, hey, I'm sorry. That's the common way people try to clear things up with others. Hey, I'm sorry. All you're saying is you feel bad about it, which is good. But what if you call up your bank and say, hey, I know I overdrafted. I'm sorry. We good? No, we're not good. We got to deal with the truth. Okay, so sorry is not enough. More recently, I hear people say, you know, I, I apologize, which is better than sorry. But it's still not enough because, you know, if you call your bank up and say, hey, I apologize about that overdraft. Okay, good. It still needs to be taken care of. So what we need to do is we need to admit our wrong. Fix it if we can, and then say these exact words I found to be helpful. Would you forgive me for, and then say what it is that you did that was wrong. That's how we reconcile. And when you do this, the reason trust, trust is strengthened is because you are pointing to a standard of truth that is more authoritative than you and them and how you feel. You're pointing to a bigger standard. And truth, trust rather doesn't float in midair. It requires a foundation of truth that's deeper and more authoritative than what either of you think is right and wrong. You're pointing to the truth that God says. That's why trust can be even stronger. So whenever you have a conflict in a relationship, my first thought is, oh, no. But actually, it's an opportunity to build trust if you admit what you've done and ask for forgiveness. Number five, hard act number five, is participate in the work of the church. What this says is we are intentional about serving. We are intentional about serving. In fact, next Sunday, I'm going to start a four-part message series on serving. We're calling it The Greatest, because that's what Jesus said. If you want to be the greatest, then be the servant. So we're going to talk about what it means to serve, the challenges we have over time when we serve, and how we can grow in our serving. But we are intentional about serving. So we participate in the work of the church that we're committed to. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. What this is saying is that 
you've been given a gift, and its place of service and application is in the church, faithfully administering what God is trying to do. Now, church life honestly can easily become a handful of people running around like crazy doing most of the work while the majority watch them and benefit from that. Now, thankfully, that has not, for the most part, been true here at Seabreeze. That's because so many of you step up weekly and monthly to do your part. Now, that doesn't mean you don't get tired serving here at Seabreeze. You don't get frustrated serving here at Seabreeze. I mean, it is called the work of the church, not the vacation of the church. It's, it's actual work to do this. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given a gift from God that the church needs. So you need to participate. Hard attitude number six, support the church financially. Now, the reason this is important is because we are intentional about faith. You might think, oh, no, no, the word should be money. We're intentional about money. No, in the Bible, actually, how we handle our money is where God really evaluates our faith in him. Because we all know money is where, where we live. We all need it. We all value it. And as Jesus said, you can't serve both God and money. So money is where faith gets real. Now, the work of God on earth always advances as people give their time and their money. Now, if you've got kids and they're in the kids' ministry right now, they're having a great time. They're learning about God. And this is happening because many people have decided to give of their time and gifting to serve in that ministry. Now, if you've ever tried to bring a, a little one here into this service, you know how distracting that can be to you and everyone else. So the reason we're able, let's just listen, we're able to focus. I mean, you can't expect a two-year-old to focus on this. This is not near interesting enough. But we can focus and we can learn about God because so many people are not just babysitting over there. I mean, if they're under two, they're babysitting. They're having a great time. But as they get older, they're learning key ideas because people are sacrificing their gifts. But it's also happening because many of you give financially to this church. Now, if you're a guest, I've said this before, we are happy to pay the bills for our guests. But if you want to join the team, it means that you are deciding to help pay for this. If you want to walk over to the back of the student building and see the framing of the new offices, you'll get a chance to see that all of us together have decided we want those who work here to be able to be productive. I can't write that check. You can't write that check. Together, we can write those checks to advance what God is doing here. But this is not a bill that we pay. This is a privilege for us. It is a heart attitude. <laughs> Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 19-21, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The church is the best way to turn dollars into eternal treasure. 
And I think we will never, in eternity, we will not regret a single hour or a single dollar that we gave to the church of Jesus Christ. My guess is we'll wish we had contributed more. Hard attitude number seven, the last one, follow leadership in the church within scriptural limits. This hard attitude points to the fact that we are intentional about unity. Now, we tend to think that unity is just this kind of fog that descends on people and makes them nice and get along. But unity is really a function of leaders leading well and followers following well. That's the only way unity occurs here on earth. Hebrews 13, 17 points to this hard attitude. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is speaking of leaders in the church. Now, we often think of leaders as an irritation, not a source of advantage to us. The advantage that this is describing is you get an extra pair of eyes looking out for you. If you look around the world, it's evident that we cannot prosper without leaders. One of the reasons that we can prosper in this part, in this world, is leadership. It's not perfect leadership, but if we had no leadership here in this city, man, everyone buy a gun, because it's going to be chaos. It's going to be awful. We need leaders to prosper. And if leaders are designed by God to be an advantage then why is leadership so often a problem? Well, it's because the leadership advantage comes with three conditions. And if these three conditions aren't addressed, then leadership is not an advantage. It's a disadvantage, and it's a disaster. Here are the three advantages, or the conditions, rather. First, you have to follow thoughtfully. It says, obey your leaders. The Greek word for obey means to be easily persuaded. What this is saying is don't follow mindlessly. If you don't get it, if you've got a question, if you think something should be different, ask the question. State your opinion. But do it from the edge of, this doesn't make sense to me. I'd like to figure this out. I I want to understand why we're doing this. But don't follow mindlessly. Secondly, follow willingly. Next thing it says is submit to their authority. The Greek word means to yield. This is what you do if after you ask all your questions, you still think, yeah, I don't agree. Well, now you get a chance to follow. Why would you do that? It's because your understanding is that God is leading and providing an advantage through the leader. So even if you don't see it, even if you don't get it, God is blessing you as you follow with a good heart. The last condition is to follow within limits. Every leader, this says, will have to give an account. No leader is the ultimate authority. Everyone will have to give an account of their life to God. Leaders who lead without a clear sense that they have a God that they have to answer to, if they don't have that sense, they are dangerous leaders, and the world is full of those. That's why the attitude here is to follow within scriptural limits. If I lead us as a church away from what the Bible says... Stop following. In fact, it's time to get rid of me because I'm leading us out of bounds. So over the past three weeks, we've talked about the direction where we're headed as a church. We've talked about the vision friend that helps us stay on track. 
And now today we've talked about the hard attitudes. For those who make a membership commitment to be a part of this church, the hard attitudes are what we commit to. So if you've made that commitment in the past, if you are a previous member, this afternoon you're going to get an email from me about how to renew your membership for this year, 2024. You just click on the link and let us know that you want to renew your membership. If you're interested in becoming a member at Seabreeze, or you have more questions about what that means, we have a process called Explore Seabreeze to give you that information. So Explore Seabreeze Discover is coming up February 4th. It's from noon to 2. We provide lunch with that. So you can sign up for that class on your connection card and take the next step towards becoming a part of the body of Christ here. Join me in prayer. Father, you established the church. Not because you needed us, but because we need you. It's so evident as we look at the church that you could accomplish what you want done with greater efficiency, and greater precision and accuracy than giving so much of the work to us. But you've designed us to be a part so that we might grow, we might contribute, and we might have an impact for all of eternity. So we thank you for that gift. I pray that in this new year, you would help us to progress towards the destination you've set out for us. And you would help us to, to treat each other rightly before you and to relate to this church rightly before you. We know that we have an enemy that would love to destroy us, cause division, cause all kinds of problems. So we pray for protection in this coming year. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.